Abibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. This is another episode that we'll be doing without our brother tonight, Gullah Jackson. I'll be your host, Brother Amos, and I'm here along with my elder, Baba Makaru. How you doing tonight, brother? Hotel brother. Every day that's uh, I can be between the sky goddess Newton and Geb Lord of the Earth is a magnificent day. Ashe. Well, 2020 has struck again. <laughs> uh, this oh, wow. year has been another detrimental year for African people and for the world. From the death of Kobe Bryant to the coronavirus to the death of Dr. Laila Africa to the death of Chadwick Boseman and to continuing police brutality cases that we're seeing around the country. It's been a lot of death and bloodshed and I know a lot of people are probably ready for this year to be over with mm. as soon as possible. But we definitely want to take some time before we start and go into these topics. We want to take some time to pay our respects to the brother Chadwick Boseman who died of colon cancer at the young age of 43. And, uh, you know, the brother, even though he even though he died young, he left his he left his own legacy in his own way, in regards to his ability to be an artist or an actor. Uh, people famously know him for his role in Black Panther, uh, but he also played in numerous other movies as well. And uh, the young brother was from South Carolina, uh, Anderson, South Carolina. And the governor of South Carolina actually announced that he would be lowering the flags on the state house to have mass mm. in honor of this brother's life. Mm. Uh, so, you know, definitely want to say positive things, you know, in regards to that brother now that he's transitioning and going on into uh, the next realm. Indeed, brother. Indeed, I was talking to uh, Gullah Jack. He had a, had a break from this uh, rigorous schedule that he's on, and he had a chance to listen to the commencement speech that uh, Brother Bozeman gave at Howard. I'm not sure what the year was, but uh, Gullah Jack was saying how impressive the brother was speaking. Uh, you know, no notes, no teleprompters, no anything, and just delivering uh, positive, a positive message and positive energy to um, the graduates of Howard, uh, you know, when he delivered that speech. I saw the brother in uh, playing Jackie Robinson in 42 and playing Thurgood Marshall. Um, you know, he was to me, a very positive screen presence compared to uh, some of the things that we see on the screen. This brother uh, always presented that that sort of uh, 
you know, an image of, of, a, of, a, of a true professional. You know, Robert, Dr. Robert Hill was talking about the three images that Marcus Garvey projected. One was the, uh, the scholar, you know, always in a, in a cap and gown. Uh, Robert Hill called him uh, a pedagogue. And he said that was the most important image. The other was the military commander. But the third image was the businessman or the, the gentleman and a, 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 just a person of, of high character, positive. And, you know, I think that's, you know, I, I, I obviously haven't seen anything. I know everything that the, the brother has appeared in. My daughter just uh, watched the... Um, the five bloods and uh, she was upset what I would say is this uh, this particular cancer colorectal cancer or colon cancer seems to be striking uh, people at younger ages normally it was considered to be something uh, that, that struck the elderly population and you know most people uh, you know on a on the annual physical, you know, if you say age 50 and older, they will give you uh, some type of uh, colorectal uh, test or, you know, other people, uh, they rec actually recommend a uh, colos coloscopy for, um, if that, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, for uh, people that um, uh, maybe uh, age 60 or so. But I think, I think younger people, should be requesting, uh, you know, the at, at least the, the 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 kit where you can, you know, test, uh, you know, your feces and, and and send it off to see if they can detect anything in there. Uh, you know, probably, you know, mid thirties on up because I believe the brother was detected with stage three colon cancer when he was 39 so if it had gotten to stage three at that age it had it probably had struck him earlier depending on how aggressive uh you know the cancer was you know to go from stage one stage two to stage three that that quick uh i mean you know it just it, and then and then then once they started treating him it still advanced to stage four uh, but he, he he produced a lot of work while he was undergoing, you know, whatever treatment he was having. I don't know if he was chemotherapy, radiation, exactly what. But uh, he produced a lot of work. But I think the message, the message is, and, you know, we can't speculate about diet, heredity or what all those kinds of things. You know, that's not for us to, to, to say, but what what. What we can say is that, you know, we know that a lot of of colon cancer is directly related, you know, to diet, particularly the consumption of red meat and perhaps other meats, uh, but definitely red meat. And, you know, I when I look at the at the diets of so many young people today, that's just so fast food oriented. Uh, some children nev never have any fruits or vegetables. Never. 
And, you know, that was a staple uh, for, you know, people in my age group, people growing up, you know, in the, uh, you know, 19, you know, uh, 1950s and 1960s. I mean, it was like, you know, you sat down to a meal that, you know, was general, was prepared, you know, by your mother or your father, your grandmother, and generally consisted of, you know, some type of meat, a vegetable, you know, and a starch. I mean, that was like every meal. Now, sometimes you might have a hot dog or something like that, but I mean, it was, um, just standard, you know, standard uh, procedure to have vegetables. And, you know, our vegetables, you know, came out of the, the garden that my father had. And, you know, he would grow his own vegetables. And then everything that we couldn't eat, he and my mother would be, you know, in the kitchen with <laughs> these pots and they would be canning food. And so we would eat fresh vegetables in, you know, like, you know, spring, summer, or in the fall, summer and fall, because, you know, you, you get your, uh, your greens and, and uh, those types of things, your fall crops. And then during the cold of winter, we would, you know, eat the vegetables out of the jars, you know, the, the collard greens, turnips, kale, uh, you know, they, they, my, my parents canned everything. I mean, they canned everything. They canned tomatoes, uh, all of the types of, uh, you know, the lima beans and different beans that, uh, my father would, would grow. Um, and it, you know, so that was just a standard, you know, to, to have, to have your vegetables. And, you know, of course we also had, especially during the summer, cause we would, we would go around uh, you know, picking, you know, strawberries and blackberries and things like that. People had peach trees and apple trees and it, it's just a whole different ball game out there now. And, you know, I think it's probably related. I mean, obviously there's so many carcinogens in, in everything now, the air, the water, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, to the extent that, that people can, uh, you know, change their diets to be more healthy. That should be done, particularly with the you know, these children that are growing up, and also demand. You know, if, if you have insurance that allows you to get some a physical, you know, something every year, or if you have some kind of you know holistic doctor uh, that you can work with, you know, like Doctor Africa. Uh, you need, you need, you need, you need to make sure that, um, you know, you're watching for the symptoms and the signs and, you know, take that test every year because it, it seems to be a, a growing problem, you know, for young people, younger people, you know, in, in this American society. Yeah. One of the things too, that I would add to that list that you gave to the listeners is the importance of detoxing the body. You have to, there's a reason why people do things like fasting or going through periods where they take a less consumption of meat. And a lot of people now, you know, they do vegan diets or 
raw food diets or they do other things. A lot of people may not even eat meat, but for those of us who do, uh, it's important to detox and do things like colon cleanses, like liver cleanses, like kidney cleanses, like blood cleanses to push a lot of those toxins out of your body. And it's really important to do that on an annual basis. Um, it's like an internal shower that you're mm-hmm. taking it on the inside of your body the same way that you would clean yourself on the outside. So mm. I think that that's another important important uh, thing that people should be doing to try to maintain uh, a healthy body. Right. But um, going into the topics that we want to discuss tonight, the NBA boycott. Um, we want to deal with that. We want to deal with the shooting that took place in Wisconsin of Jacob Blake. We're also going to deal with the white militias and the shooting that took place during a protest for Jacob Blake. And we're also going to talk about the response of black men the emotional response of black men should black men cry it's crying a sign of weakness you know a lot of people are often uh try to say that you know men should never cry because crying is a sign of weakness well it's not about whether a man should cry or not it's really about what the man is crying for Mm. and what the man is looking to get out of expressing those emotions. And I saw this week, a lot of emotional responses to the shooting of Jacob Blake. Now I know a lot of people, we oftentimes we try to give people a break because we know that this is a touchy subject when it comes to the loss of black life and I cannot tell people how they should emotionally feel when it happens. I can't tell you that you should, you should cry. I can't tell you that you shouldn't cry. But what I can do is this. What I can do is say one thing that black people should never do. And that is we should never cry and beg our enemies for empathy. Mm. One of the things that we have to to really understand is that an emotional response can be okay. But if that emotional response is tied to you looking for love, from whites if that emotional response is tied to you begging and asking whites why are we being treated this way if that emotional response is tied to a sign of weakness and not manhood then that emotional response is not what we need as a show of resistance against 
these threats that are among us. Mm. But I'm going to play this clip by Doc Rivers and Troy Vincent. And we're going to diagnose the responses that they gave to the Jacob Blake shooting. What stands out to me is um, just just watching the Republican uh, convention and this they're spewing this fear, right? Like all you hear Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, we've been hung. We've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's, it's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color. You know, it's just really sad. We got to do better. Uh, but we got to demand better. Like, we got, you know, it's, it's funny. We protest, and they send riot guards, right? Uh, they send people in riot outfits. They go to Michigan with guns, and they're spitting on cops, and nothing happens. The training has to change in the police force. The unions have to be taken down in the police force. My dad was a cop. I believe in good cops. We're not trying to defund the police and take all their money away. We're trying to get them to protect us, just like they protect everybody else. Uh, I didn't want to talk about it before the game because it's so hard like to just keep watching it that video if if you watch that video you don't need to be black to be outraged you don't you need to be american and outraged and how dare the republicans talk about fear we're the ones that need to be scared we're the ones having to talk every to every black child what white father has to give his son a talk about being careful if you get pulled over? It's, it's just ridiculous. And, and it just keeps getting, it keeps going. Uh, there's no charges. Breonna Taylor, no charges, nothing. All we're asking is you live up to the Constitution. That's all we're asking for everybody, for everyone. Thank you. Troy, as you saw yesterday, the NBA and Major League Baseball players decided to boycott their games. What was your reaction to that? Uh, proud? Uh, Gather yourself, Troy. Gather yourself. It's got to end. Gather yourself. I'm, I'm so proud. You got, you got it, brother. You got it. Of these young boys. These young men and women, they did things that I, I didn't think about doing 
always fought for the community, but during my time, we thought we had a handle on it, and obviously we didn't. But when I saw Doc Rivers and LeBron and George Hill, it's, I think about my three boys, dang it. And I'm sitting up here every day having conversation about contact tracing and are we gonna play ball? And I got a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old and a 15-year-old and I'm trying to prevent from being hunted. And they're teachable moments and I'm trusting my Lord. Trusting them. I'm just... I'm proud of what the guys and the women are doing. As we would say, a unified people always defeat unified money. And I'm just proud. I'm proud. But Key and Jay, I would just say this. We have clear examples of de-escalation. I keep thinking about the church killing in South Carolina. This man was armed. He killed nine people in the church. They took him to McDonald's to eat. He killed our people. He had the shooting in Wisconsin. This man is armed. He just a teenager. He just killed some people. And they're offering him a bottle of water. We know with grace, we, we're looking at privilege in our eyes. The players, the coaches, and all sports, we're just asking that you be in this fight with us. Man, we love our game. We love the game that we play. But our communities are under siege, and we can't have a blind eye to it. So those were the words of Doc Rivers and Troy Vincent. Now, if we go back and we listen to Doc Rivers' statement, one of the things that I want to be clear about is this. Jacob Blake was a very tragic situation, and we all should be outraged. But where was this outrage, the same outrage when Walter Scott got shot in the back and the cop threw his taser on the ground on video? Where was this outrage? During the Obama administration. This outrage did not exist because it was not orchestrated to exist. See, we have to understand what we're seeing when we look at Doc Rivers. Not only mention police brutality, but make a political statement. Who's orchestrating Doc Rivers? Who's orchestrating his emotions that's leading him to make comments 
about Republican versus Democrat. Notice he mentioned the Republicans. He did not mention the Democrats. These athletes and these entertainers, they want us to get emotional. They want all people in America to get emotional because there is an agenda to remove Donald Trump from office at all costs. And if Donald Trump goes, I could care less. So I'm not saying this from the corner of Donald Trump. Or I'm not saying this because I want you to go vote for Donald Trump. I'm saying this because we have to recognize exploitation when we see it. This is not real black resistance. And this is not how our emotions should be channeled through athletes and entertainers. If athletes and entertainers want to do anything positive for the black community, they can use their resources to put the masses of our people in front of people who are qualified to handle these situations. They should not speak for us. We should not look to them as an example of what black emotion and black resistance should look like or should be to the threat of the white power structure. Because all of these athletes and all of these entertainers that came out this week, they all are pushing the agenda that has been orchestrated by the small hats to remove Donald Trump from office. When you look on the NBA floor and you see Black Lives Matter written on the floor, written on the back of the jerseys, the promotion of Black Lives Matter is no different than the promotion of the NAACP in the 1920s. It's no different than the promotion of nonviolence and the civil rights movement in the 1960s. It is an orchestrated, exploitive way for them to control the narrative of black resistance. Now I'm going to play another clip, another athlete who had a response to the Jacob Blake situation. And this clip was replayed on Fox Sports, but there was a portion of this clip that they cut out. And this was the comments that was made by Robert Ory. You know, for me, in today, well, yesterday, you know, I was sitting there and I started crying. And my wife walks in, she's like, are you crying because you turned 50 today? And I started laughing, I'm like, no. I said, did you see the video of this guy getting shot? And first, I, I, and I saw it, I'm looking at it, I thought, well, maybe they're gonna tase him, right? Because that's what they do with white people, they tase him. And so I, I didn't have the volume up, and then Christian walks in the room, he says, no, dad, they shot him. So I play it again, I'm like, wow. He shoots this guy seven times in the back. And then I have this conversation with Christian, and he's like, that's not, that's wrong, that's wrong. I said, yo, it is beyond wrong. It's just flat out evil. And I'm telling him, and it's hard 
to tell your 14-year-old son yeah. that I worry about him when he walks out that door. I have a 21-year-old son. I worry about him because black men are, 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 are endangered species pretty much. People are, these cops are just killing because they feel like if they don't have their body cams on, they have a right. And I tell my kids all the time, I said, dude, I don't care what's going on because at the end of the day, I want you coming home to me. If you have to lay down on the ground and they can kick you, beat you, at least you're going to go to the hospital and you're going to come home to me. Don't, whatever they say to you, don't take it upon yourself to let that rage you have against that cop come out because he has the gun. He can end you. And I don't want him to end you because if he ends you, that means I'm going to end him. <laughs> and, and I know that's wrong for me to say, but I'm so, I'm so much a time to kill type of guy like Samuel Jackson, you know, and this is going to happen with me. And I said, I don't want that to happen. I already lost one child. I don't need to lose another. Now, the brother mm -hmm. said that that was wrong for him to say. That's not a wrong thing to say. That's a natural positive thing to say. And in any situation, any normal situation with normalized people, that's how they would think. Now, all of the other stuff the brother said about resisting, not resisting to the police. We've talked about this on this show before. When you're in that situation with those cops, you got two choices. Either you're going to not resist and live. And if you are going to resist, then you need to resist all the way and be prepared to take their life because they're going to take yours. Those are really the only two options you have. If you're going to resist, then you better be prepared to take their life. Mm. because they're going to take yours. So if you're not prepared to take their life, then the best option you have is to not resist and to hopefully live to see another day. Now, that's not guaranteed because even in some cases when there's not any resistance, you could still end up being killed. In a situation with Jacob Blake, Walter Scott, these brothers retreating, being shot in the back. Jacob Blake, fortunate enough to still be alive, even though, even though he's paralyzed, he's going to live to tell his story. He's going to live to testify against that police officer if that police officer goes to trial, which is a unique situation because in many cases, our people end up dead and they can't tell their side of the story of how things transpired from the beginning to the end. All we have is the police body cam footage. All we have is the police report and the report from the other officers, which we know that they're known to lie and falsify those reports in favor of the shooting police officer. So that's another instance in this case. But I played these videos because I really wanted us to be able to understand that we cannot be exploited by an agenda 
that's being pushed and promoted by the majority of the people who own and run the majority of the media outlets and who have big stake in a lot of corporations in these in this country this is their political agenda that they're using black people for another thing that i wanted to say in reference to this doc river said if you're an american then you should be outraged you don't have to be black to be outraged let's talk about what being an american means because see a lot of times we always say that they don't teach enough black history in school you know growing up all i learned was about the american revolution and the civil war and my ancestors were enslaved but the question that i have is are we really taking the lessons from what being a patriot is all about donald trump and mike pence they stated at the rnc that we're about law and order that we support peaceful protests but not protests that have violence well let me ask this question how many times did george washington peacefully protest <laughs> how many times did thomas jefferson and benjamin franklin peacefully protest if you want to be an american and you're all about being like the quote-unquote founding fathers the founding fathers of this country never protested to their oppressors hmm. i'm gonna say it again the founding fathers of this country never protested to their oppressors they made a decision a collective decision to make an exodus away from their oppressors and once their oppressors confronted them with conflict they went to war so if you want to live up to the constitution and give, an, and give a response like an American should give a response your response should not be to cry and ask why you love this country and, we don't, and they don't love you back your response should not be to boycott a game or to peacefully protest your response should be similar to the response of George Washington. Your response should be similar to the response of Thomas Jefferson. And your response should be similar to the response of Benjamin Franklin, Andrew Jackson, and all of the others who were responsible for the foundation of this country. If you want black people to be so patriotic, then let's learn that as lesson number one. Because when you look historically at how people come out of this situation it is not doing it the way we have been doing it for the past a hundred plus years that is just not historically how this happens especially when you are protesting for something that is obsolete for something that has no clear direction you're protesting for justice. What does that mean? 
Some people say they're protesting for police reform. What does that mean? What direct agenda do you have that you're pushing as a demand for what you want out of this situation? For the people that want to protest. Now, think about this. Dr. King, even though in some earlier parts of his life, he was being controlled and he was being used by similar people that are controlling Black Lives Matter now. One thing that I have to give Dr. King credit for is that he moved with a direction, a clear direction, and then he demonstrated and used action to meet a demand. All of the people that are out there protesting right now, what demand have you given the American government? Have you said, we want reparations and repatriation or else this is what's going to happen? And this is what's going to continue to happen until we get what we demand. Justice or else is too vague. That can mean anything. That can go down a rabbit hole. What does justice mean to the European? How do they define justice for black people? We need clear cut, direct agendas and demands for the people that want to use this tool called protesting as their way of solving this problem. I already know it's not going to solve the problem. But my advice to you is if that's what you believe will solve the problem, then you need to have a clear demand and then bring forth action and pre put pressure on people to give you that demand. But my advice to you would be to look to the quote-unquote example of the patriotic ways of the founding fathers of this country. Okay, brother, you said a lot there. Uh, going back to Sunday, August the 23rd, um, there are conflicting reports on exactly what happened. The initial report was that this uh, brother, uh, Jacob Blake, uh, pulled up with his three sons and was supposedly breaking up a fight between someone. That was the initial story. Um, and then as the week e e evolved, there were uh, nine. There was a 911 call placed by someone who said that that Blake was on her property when he wasn't supposed to be there. I, I assume she has a restraining order against him. And then we subsequently found out that, uh, you know, he faces uh, charges of you know, third degree sexual assault on the uh, woman who is the mother of his three children. Um, 
Now, we simply make those statements just because we, we believe in full disclosure. Whatever happened, whatever happened, Joseph, uh, Jacob Blake was not committing a capital crime. And even if he was committing a capital crime, you know, he's entitled to due process, which we, which we see every day in this, you know, violent U United States of America. Uh, I'm not going to try to go through all, all of the conflicting reports just based on the video. There was a confrontation with three uh, police officers, uh, two males, two white males and a, and a female. They had their guns drawn. Um, supposedly they tried to um, uh, restrain him by using tasers, which they said didn't work. Um, the, some other reports say that, you know, during the confrontation, he was on the ground and managed to free himself and apparently was walking to his car, maybe to check on his children or what. You know, I, I don't know. But in the process of all of that happening, he was shot in the back seven times and now he's paralyzed. He was taken to a hospital where he was shackled uh, both, uh, you know, his arms and his feet, even though the man is paralyzed from the waist down. He was shackled because they said that there was a warrant for his arrest. Uh, how much of, you know, this uh, the police knew, uh, you know, a lot of this information is, is very sketchy. But we have seen on numerous occasions, in fact, we would see in Madison, Wisconsin, just two days later, an, inc an incident where a violent white person killed two other white people and wounded a third, and he walked right by the police. The police claimed they didn't know, you know, that he was the shooter. But we, we have seen and we've posted videos of white people armed with knives, guns, We've seen people, uh, you know, white people attacking police officers. And so we know that they have the capacity to restrain themselves when it's a matter of saving a white life. White supremacy and the culture of impunity and immunity, where police officers believe they can get away with anything, where they believe like Justice Roger uh, Tawney in the Dred Scott decision, that black people have no rights, that white people are bound to respect we have seen them kill uh, black people you know with impunity and it in less than three minutes from the time the police officers arrived on the scene there in Madison Wisconsin uh, Jacob Blake had been shot and so this is what this is what drives you know the outrage because people see these clear contradictions they see these uh, discrepancies they see the you know this hypocrisy and they believe that you know it's purely driven by the fact that the victim is a person of African descent and we have seen police officers shoot down people like 12 year old Tamir Rice who was playing with a toy gun and be exonerated or not even charged in so many instances that we could go through John Crawford in a Walmart in Ohio uh, holding a, uh, a BB gun or, you know, some type of uh, uh, air gun, air pistol or something to that effect. I mean, just gunned down in cold blood. Um, 
uh, almost mentioned Walter Scott fleeing from the police. Uh, there was another incident that happened uh, just a, a few days before that in Louisiana where a guy was fleeing from the police and was shot in the back. So, I mean, this this is just a common just a, it's just a common occurrence. This incident took place within the context of what I call the George Floyd Rebellion, going back to May, where, you know, there was a, the public lynching of George Floyd, which had been preceded by the uh, home invasion, which killed Breonna Taylor in Louisville. And before that, the uh, stalking, which killed uh, Ahmaud Arbery in uh, Brunswick, Georgia. So all, all of this, you know, within the context of this pandemic, is 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 building is building is building i mean it if, if if you look at the history of of our rebellions and i and i separate our rebellions of the 60s from these rebellions or even the, the or, or i separate them even from the rodney king rebellion uh for example in in watts in uh, 1965 when the watts community erupted in black august of 1965 it, it, it came on the heel of police, uh, Los Angeles police officers shooting over 60 black people in a three year period with only one officer being charged. And so it, you know, this, 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 uh, this tension, it, 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 the outrage builds to a point to it, to where it explodes. Okay. Now, so for, for whatever reason, the, all of the people who got involved in the George Floyd rebellion and the most people who have been involved have been, you know, people of European descent. Uh, we don't know if it's a, just a trend or what is driving all of these people. But we saw the same thing happen in Madison. As a matter of fact, uh, within a matter of hours that Sunday night, you know, there were there was a rebellion in Madison with, you know, automobiles and uh, being, you know, uh, burned and buildings, you know, being attacked and whatnot. So these this particular outrage or these this particular activity was driven by white people. And as a result of uh, property being destroyed, a group of white militias decided to take to the streets on the uh, following Tuesday, which would have been August the 25th. And one of the, one of the uh, militia members or a person who came there to join the militia was a 17 year old who came from Illinois by the name of Kyle Rittenhouse. And during the, during the process of uh, several confrontations, he wound up killing uh, two white people and seriously wounding a third. And this is part of a pattern that we see. This, this is what makes this particular situation something that we really need to sit down and, and analyze what's going on. Because what we see in, in this, we, we see an incident where there's state-sponsored violence against a person of African descent, but the rebellion that takes place is largely by uh, or the outrage or whatever is, that takes place is, takes place by, you know, people of European descent. And in many instances, these are white supremacists. 
identified in places like uh, Minneapolis, Richmond, Virginia, and other places, inciting uh, rebellion. And then you have the uh, the the people of anarchists, uh, so-called Antifa or whatever, who are out there. They have an agenda. So you have a lot of people with with with, with different agendas. And how much of this is actually related to uh, the historical uh, violence that's been perpetrated upon people of African descent, beginning uh, in British colonial uh, North America? Okay, so it's something that, that we really need to think about in terms of how we become involved in these things, because we know that we're the ones who who will be. Uh, you know, scapegoated. Now, uh, the the 17-year-old who who shot uh, three uh, uh, fellow white people, killing two, fled uh, back to his home in Illinois, and he was subsequently arrested, and he's been charged uh, with you know first-degree homicide. Uh, he's going to present a case uh, of self-defense, and you know he he may be successful. Uh, on that he may not be i don't see how he could possibly escape the gun charges being being a minor being 17 year 17 years old uh walking around with a uh ar-15 with a 30 round clip i don't i don't know how and killing people i don't know how he could possibly escape the the gun charges somebody had to supply him with the weapon that person should also be charged Uh, but i think I think we need to really consider exactly what it is that that we are trying to do when we get involved in these protests. Now, I will say this. The the ongoing protests in Louisville have been led by grassroots people. And you see a lot of people of African descent in the forefront. To me, in my mind, that's the only one. Uh, that has been sustained over a period of time that still, you know, has been controlled by grassroots people, uh, you know, in, in, in a particular community. In a lot of these other communities, you have you've had a lot of outsiders. Uh, you've had, you know, white supremacists embedded in marches. You've had uh, anarchists embedded. And, you know, there's been there's, there's been a lot of destruction, but all of it is classified under Black Lives Matter. It's all classified uh, that the, 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 the people who were killed, the two people who were killed and the one who was wounded were considered Black Lives Matter activists. And I mean, it's it's been that way. You know, when we see these um, in Portland, the police decided to just let the, the factions of white people fight one another. And they had shields and things that kind of looked like something uh, gladiators. I mean. You know, they, I guess they were going back, emulating their history. And the police just stood back and let them fight one another. Uh, some people think that this, you know, could be the makings of of a uh, Fort Sumter 2.0, a, a, a civil war. How do African people, how, how do we line up? What do we do in this kind of, in this situation that is going to serve, you know, our ultimate objective, which is the liberation and empowerment of African people? These are things that, that, that we need to consider. Uh, you know, our good friend Quasi Fisher says, you know, we, you know, we shouldn't be involved. We, you know, we shouldn't, we should not be involved, particularly if we can't control the narrative, if we can't control the outcome, 
if we are making very specific demands that are related to uh, our historical oppression and exploitation uh, in this country. So, you know, though, you know, that's what's going on from that perspective. Now, in terms of in terms of all of the athletes uh, and entertainers and others who have spoken out. Um, you know, we created the, the movement, the movement in beginning, you know, in uh, 1955 and then, you know, escalating with the students uh, in, you know, in, in the early in the early 1960s, 1960, 61, 62, et cetera, et cetera. The, fo the, the founding of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. The consciousness, the grassroots consciousness that was created, uh, that was developed as a result of people engaging in struggle against American apartheid, affected many of the artists and entertainers of that t of that time. Because, you know, you think, for example, about some of the songs that you know were being produced by people like Marvin Gaye and, you know, even, you know, James Brown. These people didn't start off singing, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud or mercy, mercy me. Uh, you know, they, they, they didn't start off singing, you know, these types of songs. You know, they, they evolved, you know, Sam Cooke evolved. And what was happening was they were being affected by the consciousness. And of course, the the the, the, the pinnacle of uh, you know black uh, athletic activism was represented, of course, by you know Muhammad Ali, and uh, the people who supported him at the at the Cleveland summit: Bill Russell, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Jim Brown, Bobby Mitchell, uh, Curtis McClinton, all of the other brothers and who were there: John Wooten, who supported you know Muhammad Ali, but these brothers. Uh, particularly Muhammad Ali into uh, Jim Brown at the time, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they had a certain consciousness that had been developed as a result of the activities of the people who were engaged in struggle. You know, the Kwame Therese and, uh, you know, H. Rap Brown, the Black Panther Party, et cetera, et cetera. They, that had they, that uh, impacted their consciousness. And these people were operating uh, with a much higher level uh, of awareness of, of the history of African people. What we have seen today really has not developed out of that same type of activity that, that we saw in the 60s. Now, I do give them credit because, you know, what we are seeing, however you want to classify it, is a far cry from the... Uh, the apathy of the the Michael Jordan era, okay, I mean it 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 it, it is significant in terms and and there, and there are there are there's no doubt in my mind that there are some of these brothers who are historically aware, and you know who have been studying you know for example let let's say for example you know people didn't know anything about how how, how much a person like David West. Uh, was deep into the history of African people until all of a sudden when our great scholar Yosef Ben-Yakinen uh, transitioned to the spiritual world. David West then, I, I believe he was playing with the Indiana Pacers in the NBA, 
uh, one of the toughest guys that ever, you know, laced him up and stepped on a basketball court, you know, helped to pay for Dr. Ben's funeral. Why? Because he had been studying Dr. Ben's work. And, you know, David West is involved in doing things today. People don't don't even know about the type of things that that he's involved. And there are other people like that. You know, there were, you know, during the Jordan era, people like, you know, Craig Hodges, for example, uh, or um, Abdul Rauf. You know, we we did have these, you know, but they were they were the exceptions. And so now you have a lot of people out trying, you know, to make statements and whatnot. And to me, it's embarrassing. (laughs) It is absolutely embarrassing (laughs) to see these black. I mean, you talk this joke, these joke, especially an NFL player. This guy's been out there getting hammered, you know. By you know, 250 pound linebackers who run a 4540, and he's crying. I mean, it just, I, it to me, it's embarrassing. And I, I'm not saying people shouldn't be emotional. I'm not saying that. You know, God gave us a mind that has, you know, two hemispheres, and emotions a part of one of those hemispheres. And then they are saying, LeBron James says, you know, black people are scared. What? Come on, man. You, what is that supposed to, what does that say? Oh, good gracious. They're scared. You know, let, let's really go ahead and wipe them out because they're not going to do anything. I, it just shows that a lot of, a lot of these guys just, they're not thoroughly grounded, you know, in, 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 in the type of consciousness uh, that's needed to be out there, you know, speaking. They have a platform, obviously. Uh, they are entertainers. Entertainment in the in in America is the opiate of the masses, and they're definitely people who who want to control the narrative. And so the the, the players decided that they would, uh, beginning with the Milwaukee Bucks, boycott the the uh, the playoff games. You know, they went on strike, so to speak, and and so. They have were having discussions for a few days as to whether they would continue the season. LeBron James and Chris Paul apparently had a conversation with Barack Obama. They wanted him to intervene and give them some advice. Well, what kind of advice is that going to be? Go go register to vote for crime bill Joe Biden. <laughs> right. And so, you know, that's one of the things that, that came out of this when they finally sat down and got the owners to agree uh, Jalen Brown of the Celtics says he doesn't believe the owners will follow through. I mean, why would they if the pressure isn't kept on? Uh, the players didn't lose anything by, you know, sitting out a few games. Uh, uh, Naomi Osaka, who has a Haitian father, uh, was in the semifinals of her tennis tournament. She decided that she wasn't playing anymore. Now she really gave, she really lost something. She possibly could have won the tournament, but she pulled out, right? Now she has a Japanese mother, but she has a Haitian father. So, you know, maybe uh, there was some spirit, uh, you know, raging inside of her, you know, from, from you know, Cecile Fatimone, who knows? Uh, Bayana Bello, you know, our sister. So, you know, these, these types of things, uh, 
to me, I, 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 it's just embarrassing to see these grown men up there crying and, and begging and talking about, you know, why are they killing us? What, what have they been doing? Right. <laughs> I, I mean, what have they, what have they, first of all, they committed genocide against the indigenous people who were already here. The United States is constructed on the foundation of theft and genocide. The theft of the indigenous people's land, the theft of African labor, genocide, physical and cultural genocide against the indigenous people. You know, the destruction of, of African culture, the dehumanization of African people. This is their history. I mean, if you talk about being an American, uh-huh. I mean, that's that's what that's what the history is. It's constructed on the foundation of crimes against humanity. The uh-huh. people we see out there today. The, the, the leaders of this country, doesn't matter what, which uh, part of the, the corrupt two-party system they represent, you know, they're there to serve those interests. Look at Barack Obama. What was he? Uh, you know, other than a warmongering militarist. So, All I know I mean, is this, that. You go ahead, brother. All I know is that when white people's family members get killed and... I don't know if they cry or they don't cry, but I do know this. They call for revenge. They call yeah. for revenge. Yeah, retaliatory violence. Retaliatory violence is therapeutic for the white supremacy dynamic. That's their justice. Their justice is we're going to take more than you took from us. Retaliatory violence. And, you know, uh, initiatory violence if they if somebody didn't do anything like you know Saddam Hussein if someone didn't you know only thing Saddam Hussein did was be a flunky for the United States government fighting Iran for eight years million people killed in the war between two people who supposedly believe in the same religion though different uh, aspects of it and he hadn't done anything other than be a flunky for the United States government, and when they decided that uh, they wanted to take him out, he hadn't done anything. They contrived a reason. And all of the people that's talking about voting, like we need, I heard, I heard Shannon Sharp talk about how, you know, it don't matter who the president is or who the politician is. All they do is make promises, and then when they get elected, they don't keep it. Keep the promises. And then at the end of this segment, he says, but make sure you go out and vote. Why do people believe that voting is going to stop this from happening? When the person that you're voting for has done more detrimental things to lock black people up and put them in a situation than the person you want out of office. Yeah, there's no comparison in terms of the damage that uh, Joe Biden has done to African people. There's no there's there's no comparison to the dam, the damage that he's done, or the damage uh, if if you look if you want to look at it in, internationally, and look at the raging terrorism on the African continent today, which is directly related to the destabilization of of Libya in 2011, which the United States was the uh, big dog in that fight. Uh, you know, it doesn't compare, but but we have to just keep 
Baba Omawali in our frontal lobe. They all play in the same game. Mm -hmm. And they have different ways of managing the American empire. And the, uh, the, the Democrat Party is heavily dependent on the black vote uh, to get elected. Now, that doesn't mean that, let's say, if you got a Chokwe Lumumba who is, has captured the Democrat Party in Jackson, Mississippi, and, you know, a city that's 85% black, and, you know, he can become the mayor and affect some, some actual change, right? I mean, no locale can actually totally liberate African people, but he can, they can do some things. I'm not saying that you don't vote for Chokwe Lumumba. I, today, uh, you know, I went to, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, this event that uh, there was a protest uh, right up the street from where I live, uh, to save the save black children. Because the black children who are being killed uh, are, are sort of like on the back burner, right? They, it's getting nowhere near the attention or the outrage. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. What, 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 when, I, when I sit down and read some of the stories about some of these black children who've been killed, their parents, you know, legitimately... They got reasons to be crying in addition to being angry. Then, you know, I, I get very emotional myself because I'm like, how much more of this can we take? Or listen to look to uh, little uh, Anissa, seven-year-old Anissa Scott praying a prayer, asking God to intervene. I mean, these things, if, if, if something like that doesn't stir you and it's got to stir you into, into doing something positive, then, you know, I don't know what to say. But anyway, uh, Brother Elliot, uh, Face Vincent, and some other uh, local activists were on the corner of West Boulevard and Remount Road uh, today. And uh, the Mecklenburg County Sheriff, Gary McFadden, uh, you know, a black man, was, was out there with, with, with the people. Uh, I voted for Gary McFadden, Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, based on his history, um, you know, the way he supported the, the family of Jonathan Farrell when Jonathan Farrell uh, was killed. You know, I said, hey, um, but but in terms of if it, but if you're talking about at the presidential level and some other other higher levels where you definitely are simply electing a person who is going to be controlled by the military industrial complex and the Wall Street oligarchs and they're going to manage the American empire to serve the interests of those people then I don't know what you I, I, I really don't know what you're voting for I have, I have not voted for a corrupt two-party system presidential candidate since 1980 and I'm embarrassed that it it, it you know it took me two elections to you know, break the monopoly that it that it had on my mind, but you know that's the only solution. I mean, you know, uh, Michelle Alexander says the primary drivers of the new Jim Crow are local prosecutors because they are the ones who decide to bring charges. And I re I remember uh, a few years ago I was talking to a brother. We were at a, uh, a West Charlotte High School football game, and I was talking to this brother who worked. Uh, 
worked his way up to get on the vice squad. And he resigned from the, from the vice squad because uh, he said they would arrest white kids, you know, out in, you know, some of some of the affluent areas of uh, of Charlotte or or they might uh, he might they they might be or he said even before he was a patrolman, they, they may have a uh, stop somebody for driving while impaired. And the, and the guy's a vice president of a bank and they would call his wife to pick him up. Uh, they, they would catch these, uh, you know, white kids, you know, using all kinds of drugs and they would they wouldn't even charge him. They would call their parents or they would take them downtown and, you know, have their parents come and pick them up. And he said and then and then he said uh, there's a black kid on Bettysford Road and he's got like a. Uh, 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 a quarter of an inch of a of a marijuana uh, cigarette, a, a roach, and the police, are, you know, taking him to jail. So he quit. He said, "I'm not, I, I'm not participating. This, this is just absolute hypocrisy." And so these these kinds of things, you know, happen. So, you know, you could, you know, for example, remove some of these uh, uh, local prosecutors, but understand, you know, you might get lucky and get a Marilyn Mosby, but Understand that overall, all of that is just um, is just going to result in some type of reform. And we can't continue to expect that our problems are going to be solved by reform. It's just not going to. We've seen this over and over and over. The failure of reforms from Reconstruction to civil rights, what we're dealing with today. And so. We got. We have to think in terms of doing something different. There is a documentary on HBO about uh, the killing of uh, Yusef Hawkins, uh, 16-year-old brother, uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, killed, really attacked by a lynch mob when they went to uh, the predominantly Italian community of Bensonhurst and and he was killed uh, someone fired some shots while they were he was actually he and his four friends were surrounded by a group of white people uh, wielding bats uh, I'm not I don't want to give the story away for those people who are not familiar with it uh, but I, I think the history there is very well uh, it, it, it's, the story is presented very well. It particularly shows the strength of uh, his family, his father, who had been an absentee, had, had just come back. Uh, his mother just repeatedly crying and his his brothers and his friends. And, you know, then, you know, of course, you know, this was the heyday of Al Sharpton. So you got to You got to You got to deal with that. But the, the history is is very, very, very worth. Uh, you know, taking the time to watch uh, the Yusef Hawkins uh, story uh, on HBO. I can't remember the name of it, something about the storm or but I can't remember the exact name of it. But just just, you know, if you if you do a search on the name Yusef Hawkins, Yusef Hawkins documentary, I, I highly recommend that people watch that. All right. Well, brothers and sisters, this has been another edition of the african liberation media podcast you can always check out our shows on our website africanliberationmedia.com and you can also 
subscribe to our YouTube channel to get notifications when our videos come out and you can also listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you find your podcasts until next time the BB for Hodier BB for Hodier power or the lack of power I want to repeat this power or the lack of power if your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.